Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, thank you very much. Open your Bibles uh, this morning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I do bring greetings to you from Athens, Georgia, the home of the University of Georgia. And I bring you greetings from sport coats everywhere who have missed seeing you. It is uh, good to be with you today. I am uh, thankful for the opportunity to be here. I spent some wonderful days uh, in this room. I love this school. I worked at First Baptist Durham uh, from about 2000 to 2003 while I was on staff here with international students uh, at Duke. And uh, I'm just really thankful as I look back on the time that God has, has given me here. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be getting in verse 1 and then going uh, really all the way through verse 18 for a few moments. I have been parenting now for 15 years. I have four daughters. Uh, my oldest is almost 15, and then uh, my youngest is four. The last one is a little boy. Uh, parenting for 15 years, which means I know absolutely nothing about parenting. I was with a good friend about two weeks ago who's really been a mentor to me. He has six children, and I was really looking forward to spending time with him because I knew he would have some just good advice uh, for me on parenting. And I said, hey, the first thing I want to do is talk about parenting, to which he then unloaded for the next 30 minutes all the problems he's having with his children and said to me, I don't know anything about parenting. Every time parents get together and talk about parenting, it's like the disciples when Jesus asked them to feed the 5,000. They're all looking at each other going, I don't have anything. You've got anything? Like, I've got nothing. As one uh, pastor calls it, it is the abundance of shared poverty, just a bunch of shared poverty. I don't know. We have nothing. But in the midst of those 15 years, I have made some discoveries. And one of the things I've discovered is the most annoying thing about little children is the thing that actually becomes the most admirable. The one thing that you long for them to get over is the one thing that you long to have back. It's the fact that in little children, what you see is what you get. There's just an honesty there. When they feel something, they express what they feel. They're not complicated. They just show it all. I mean, just think about a baby. Uh, For nine months, that child has been in this warm, dark, comfortable, cozy place. It's quiet. There's not much to worry about. I don't have any memories of that, but it seems like it would be an enjoyable time particularly as a little bit of an introvert, it seems perfect. And then their first experience in the world is this dramatic birth process in which they're brought into a very bright, very cold, very loud room in which they're held up naked while people take pictures of them. If you wonder why all of us need counseling, it's because that's how we start in this world. We start being held up naked like this, and everyone's taking pictures. And then if that wasn't enough, they show those pictures later to other people. That's the first experience. And so you wonder why a baby cries when they come out and why they're mad. That's the reason. So they're mad and they express it. And then when you take the baby home, the pediatrician says something like this. He says, listen, uh, this baby might cry, (laughs) might cry. And if it does, it's one of three things. Uh, The baby is either physically in pain Uh, the baby is hungry, or the baby has a dirty diaper, and that's pretty much it. Now, what you'll find is that's actually pretty true. You'll also find that they have one of those three things all of the time, but it's one of those three things. It's just not that complicated. They cry, and they, they tell you what's happening. And then you get into the toddler stage, 
Everybody talks about how terrible the toddler stage is. It's, it's really, there's a lot of joys to the toddler stage. I love it. Three-year-old is my favorite stage, but the truth is you just don't have to wonder how they're feeling. If they're happy, they laugh. If they're sad, they cry. If they're mad, they pout. If they're really mad, they lay on the floor of Target and kick and scream. You just, you just know where they stand all of the time. And it is a frustrating stage. You, you do long for those days to be over, but I assure you there will be a time in which you long for those days to come back because there will be a day in which you have no idea what's going on in the hearts of your children. When what you see is not what you get. I mean, as a parent of two 15-year-old girls, I really wish when they cried, it was just one of those three things. Hey, honey, Lily's crying. Well, ask if she's hungry. Hey, Lily, are you, are you hungry? I'm not hungry. Well, ask, ask if she's got a, like a bathroom thing. Is it a bathroom thing? No, it's not. Like, I just, if it was just one of those three things, it'd be so simple. And you, you just have no idea what it is at all. The truth is, is that one stage which you long to be over, you long to have back because it just doesn't last very long. Because the older we get, the more complicated we get. What happens is, is we begin to understand things like shame. We begin to understand things like guilt. We begin to understand things like fear. We begin to go through this weird cycle where we actually believe everyone cares about what we look like. I just had this conversation with two of my daughters last Monday night. I sat them down and said, listen, here's the reason no one cares what you look like. It's because they only care about what they look like. So if everyone just cares about what they look like, no one cares about what you look like, so you need to stop caring about what you look like. It did no good whatsoever, but it was true. We start worrying about these other things, and the more that we start to understand shame and hurt and pain, and the more we start to be concerned about what other people think, the more we learn how to hide, and the more we learn how to act, and the more we learn how to simply play the part, to follow the rules, to do what we can, to take everything that is really going on in us and just squelch it down until the point that no one around us really knows who we are and also into the point that we may not even know who we really are. That we've been acting and we've been pretending for so long that we get to a place we're not even sure who we are at all. And this becomes so deeply ingrained in us and it affects every area of our lives, even our spiritual lives. That it is possible for us to get to a place where we have learned so well how to hide and pretend and act that our spiritual life actually becomes part of the act. And that is why Matthew 6 is so important for us. In Matthew chapter 6, the Lord is speaking about practicing your righteousness. He talks about our temptation to act. Look at what it says in verse 1. If you're there at Matthew 6, 1, say amen. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, beware, watch out for this, pay attention to this, be careful of this. Of what? Of playing the part, of, of acting, of hiding, of, of wearing a mask, of being what he's going to mention three times here in the next 16 verses, of being the hypocrite. I mean, that's all a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who acts. It's someone who plays. It's someone who wears a mask. It's someone who acts like something that they 
aren't, when they give a picture of themselves that is not the reality. And their motive in doing so is right there in verse 1, so that in order to be seen by others. And Jesus, in verse 1, is given a strong warning and a caution to his disciples. Now, the crowd is listening. They're there, but this is to the disciples. And to his disciples, he warns them of the temptation to just play the part in their spiritual life. And the presence of that warning in verse 1, the beware of practicing your righteousness, shows us a couple of things about hypocrisy. First of all, it shows us that it's, it's subtle. It's really, really subtle. Beware. In other words, pay attention to this. Be cautious of this because it's possible this be there and you not know it. Beware, meaning this could have crept into your life to a degree that you don't even realize, so beware, pay attention. This is a subtle temptation. It is very easy for this to become the reality of your life and you not realize it. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've ministered to couples in marriage situations and they've come to me and just unloaded all of their junk and it's the most surprising thing in the world because I've seen them for years at church and it seemed like everything was going well They seem like they're doing great, but when they come into my office, they tell me they don't talk and they haven't talked for years. They have no real relationship. They have no sense of intimacy. They don't share anything in common. They don't love each other. They don't like each other, and they don't even share a room together. What you realize is that there is something they've portrayed on the outside that is not the reality on the inside, and there's just this subtle temptation to drift away from the Lord, Hebrews chapter 2. I just want to tell you, as a man that's married with five children and a pastor of a church, it is very easy in your relationship with your wife to just start kind of co-laboring in the task of parenting. We have to work at keeping things intimate because what's going to happen if we don't work at it, very subtly, we just drift away. Jesus knows the subtle, subtle temptation of hypocrisy, so he's beware. This is something every one of us has to watch out for. Beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others. But he also tells us that it's dangerous. I mean, the beware there reminds us that this has eternal consequence. You say, where do you see this? Well, I see it from the fact that he says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, the tempting thing about the hypocrite is they get exactly what they want. They get the approval of others. They get other people to think that there's something they're not, which is all that they want. But on the other side, they don't get anything from the Father. They get this very temporary fix in which other people think that there's something holy when in reality, there's nothing there. And can we just acknowledge and be honest a little bit this morning that it is easier to act holy than to be holy? It's easier to act holy than to be holy. One of the things that uh, frustrates my wife the most is my wife is an athlete, she's in incredible shape. She wakes up uh, five to six morning a week very early and uh, she goes out and exercises for the both of us. She does a great job at it. Uh, She works very, very hard. I'm inside drinking coffee, eating Biscoff and she's out there. And, uh, but she works very hard at it. But, But there's this weird thing that happens is that often when we're out together, people ask me, I don't know why this is, I was just born skinny, stayed that way. People ask me if I'm a runner, and it, it, every bit of holy, righteous anger inside of her wells up in which she responds, no, he does nothing. <laughs> like she can't, she can't not say it. 
because it happens frequently. Are you, do you ride bikes? Are you a marathoner? Like literally, if someone was chasing me and the life of my four daughters depended on it, I couldn't run a mile without stopping. What I've discovered is this. It's a lot easier for me to look like a runner than be a runner. And I gotta be honest, I'm just gonna go with it. Like I'm fine with that. Like it's, there'll be a time in which nobody asks anymore, but for right now, I'm just going with it. So they ask and I'll be like, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't give a yes or no. It's just, I don't, you know, it's, no, don't worry. It's, but you, the exact same thing is true with our, with our spiritual life. It's just a lot easier to act like we're holy than to actually be holy. And so Jesus says to his disciples, listen, you've got to beware of this. Like you have to be careful because this is a subtle and a dangerous temptation that has eternal consequences. And if you are not constantly watching it, this will creep in and be a part of your life. But Matthew 6 is not just a warning, which we need. It is, it's a pathway out. Matthew 6 both exposes the hypocrisy in us and it gives us a guide on how to get out of the hypocrisy. It exposes us and leads us out. It is a way to constantly check our heart from the subtle and dangerous temptation of playing the part. And it does so in the following 16 verses. When it says this, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Look down at verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your feet, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, he warns us of this subtle danger, but he gives us a pathway out by giving us these three practices of righteousness. These three practices of righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting. These are practices of of our authenticity. They, They are ways in which both expose us and constantly lead us out. Now, let me tell you what I mean by practices of righteousness. I mean the same thing that Paul means in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to work and to will for his good pleasure. Here's what Paul's saying there in Philippians 2. He's saying God has worked in you. He is the one who started a work in you. And he will complete that work, but you have a work to do. Your work is to work out what God has already worked in. You can't work in your salvation. You can't work for your salvation, but you are commanded to work out your salvation. So God has saved you. Now you must apply diligence, strenuous effort of your will to put into practice that which is a reality in you. And so the same thing is is true here. He's not saying don't practice your righteousness. He's saying practice your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 at 21, it says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Meaning this, 
that on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus, who had never sinned, died a criminal's death, not for his sin, but for ours. And upon the cross, all of our sin, the weight of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the condemnation for our sin, and all of the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus so that in that moment, he received all of that. And then all of his perfect righteousness was now credited to our account. So when we, Romans 3, by faith receive his righteousness as our own, God the Father now looks at us through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. We have been declared holy and righteous before God. But we don't look like it. We don't look like it. We are declared righteous. We have been justified by faith. Declared righteous. God sees us that way. But what must now happen is we must now begin to look like that which we are. So listen carefully. Here's the difference between hypocrisy and Christianity. Are you ready for this? Hypocrisy is trying to act like something you're not, while Christianity is trying to act like something you are. Hypocrisy is trying to act like something you're not. Christianity is trying to act like something you are. You are righteous if you are in Christ. But we must learn to act that way. And Jesus gives us these practices of righteousness. And we practice them not like a basketball player practices free throws to get better at them. We practice them like a lawyer practices law or a doctor practices medicine. This is who we are. Therefore, we put that into practice. Giving, fasting, and praying are practices of our righteousness. Now, I've always wondered why Jesus picked these three. I mean, I think in Donald Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines, he gives 10 or 11 uh, spiritual disciplines, and all of them are great. I think the reason we like that book is because he puts things like evangelism as a discipline, which it is. But why is it that Jesus picked three? Well, I think because these three uniquely have the ability to expose the hypocrisy in us and to continue to lead us out of that hypocrisy. I think he gives these three because it does expose the religious that were listening. Again, he's speaking to the disciples. The crowd is listening. Certainly some Pharisees were listening. He takes the three most common practices of pious Jews, holds them up and say, listen, they do these and they do them faithfully. They do them well. They just don't do them for the right reason. So he exposes them with these three. But he also exposes us. In holding up these three disciplines, he exposes us. Do you realize these are uniquely three disciplines that you can go most of your life in pastoral ministry without doing and no one else would know? I know a man about three years ago who was fired from his church, rightfully so, for lots of other things. After he was fired, the staff decided to look at his giving record and over three years of pastoral ministry he had never given to the church. Most people will never check the pastor's giving. It would be possible for you to go throughout your entire life and your ministry and not give and not fast and not pray. So these uniquely have an ability for us internally to look and say, listen, what, what is really going on on the inside? Just, just think about these three. Uh, giving really tests the authenticity of our confession. It tests the authenticity of our confession. Our confession is Jesus is Lord. When we baptize people at Prince, we say, what is your confession? They say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
So your confession is Jesus is Lord. What that means is this, is Jesus, we give you everything we have. You you are the boss. You are the Lord of our lives. Everything we have is yours. We belong completely to you. We believe by faith. You're the way, the truth, and the life. So we choose by faith to follow you. We surrender ourselves to you. You have everything. Well, I mean everything except except our money. Like you've got everything, but you don't have this area. Listen, there is no coincidence that after Jesus talks about being careful of the subtle danger of hypocrisy, the next verse talks about our giving. Because you're going to look just over in the next place, and you're going to see in Matthew 6, 21, that he says, if you want to know the condition of your heart, look at your giving. It is always a reflection of your heart. And you can say all day that Jesus is the Lord of your life, but he is not the Lord of your finances. There is a problem. So giving really does test the authenticity of our confession. Prayer tests the authenticity of our relationship. Is there any real intimacy with you and God? Listen to me. Is there any behind-the-scenes, closed-door conversation with you and God? Is there any intimacy? I mean, I said just a minute ago how difficult it is for my wife and I to keep intimacy in our marriage. Let me just tell you something. When when you become a pastor or a missionary and life is busy, and listen, I've been a pastor. I've been on the mission field. Part of the struggle of being on the mission field, it takes half your time just to survive in that country. And then you're supposed to be doing ministry. And as a pastor, you're just trying to keep up. And as as a father of five children, you're just, you're, it's, you're just surviving. And the real test of whether there's actually any relationship there is behind closed doors, is there any cultivation of intimacy with Jesus Christ? Is there communication and openness and honesty? Prayer tests that. So if there is no conversation with God when no one else sees, there really is not much intimacy with God. So giving really test the authenticity of our confession. Prayer tests the authenticity of our relationship. And fasting really tests the authenticity of our worship. Because fasting is hunger for God. It's, it's God, I, I want you. There's nothing I want more than you. I remember asking a, a pastor friend of mine once who had fasted a lot. I said, how long do you, do you think you should fast? Like when you start a fast, how long should you go? And his answer was this, it depends how hungry you are. That's a great answer. If you're really hungry, fast longer. Because fasting is saying, Lord, I'm more hungry for you than I am for food. It's Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, I am panting for you, I want you. So I go without food in order to focus more attention on the word and on prayer. By the way, it's not just going without food, it's feasting on something else instead of food. So you're feasting on this because you're hungry for God. It is about worship. So all of these practices are are testing the authenticity of our faith. Is there something real? Is there something behind the scenes that no one else sees? So they expose us. And they're meant to expose us. Because they're meant to remind us of that warning to be careful of the subtle danger of hypocrisy. But they don't just expose us. They lead us out. So if you say, well, I do, I do sense that temptation in me, and I see it, and frankly, those three things are not a part of my life, and there probably is some hypocrisy in me, because here's the thing, Jesus hates hypocrisy, and so do we. We hate it. Everything in us hates when we see hypocrisy in others. The problem is we all have it in ourselves.
Every one of us. We all have some level of hypocrisy. And here's the way it leads us out. Because it says in verse 3, but when you give to the needy. So the when you is mentioned twice in each of these. Now, when you give, don't do it like this. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and the father who sees in secret will reward you. All three of these things expected, but when you do these things. But here's, here's the way that we can be led out of hypocrisy. Constantly throughout our spiritual lives. Here it is, are you ready? Number one, go into the secret place and do the secret things. You go into the secret place and you do the secret things. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When, when you pray, go into a room and, and close the door. When you fast, don't let others know what you're doing. Listen, in order to protect our hearts from the constant subtle deception of hypocrisy, we must be in the secret place doing the secret things. And the difficulty about this is it asked me the question, am I willing to do these things when no one else knows? When I'm at my busiest, am I willing to go into the secret place and do the secret things? And so what Jesus says is, listen, beware of this. It's subtle, it's dangerous, it's a test of our faith. And the way to protect yourself is consistently going into the secret place and doing the secret things. Number one, go into the secret place and do the secret things. Number two, go there for the reward. Go for the reward. Three times he says, but your father who sees in secret will reward you, verse four. Verse uh, six, your father who sees in secret will reward you, verse 18. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, hypocrisy... It's all about wanting to do things so it's seen by others, while Christianity is doing things knowing that God sees and believing by faith that the God who sees in secret will reward those things that no one else sees. You say, is it right to go into the secret place just for the reward? Not only is it right, it's commanded, Hebrews 11:6. You must believe that he is, and you must believe he is the rewarder of those who seek him. You're going after the reward. You say, well, what is the reward? I don't know. If you knew, it wouldn't be faith. I mean, what takes more faith than this? Going into the secret place and praying, believing that God is going to reward you when he's never told you what the reward is. That's faith. I mean, you can say you have faith all you want to move mountains, but you don't have faith to go to the secret place. There is not much faith. But what we can be confident of is this, the reward of the Father is better than anything we could ask for or think or imagine, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. His reward is good. Go after the reward. This is a good and right thing to go after the reward of the Father. He is saying, get into the secret place, do the secret things, and do it because you want the reward. 
in January of, of 2018, last year, I started a new pastorate. I had been at MacArthur Boulevard Baptist Church for 12 years, a wonderful experience, a great church. I was not looking to go anywhere, uh, but my wife and I both sensed the, the moving of the Holy Spirit to lead us there, a lot of reasons for that. But I don't know why this is. Just listen a couple minutes. But for some reason, when I started that pastorate, God kept bringing me back to Matthew 6 over and over and over. It's nothing I'd ever thought about or been familiar with it, just over and over. And I sensed the Lord continuing to say this to me. Josh, I want the reason for your ministry and the mark of your ministry to be Matthew 6. I want you to, to ground your ministry in the truth of Matthew 6, that if you give and fast and pray, God will reward it. God called me to give more than I've ever given, to fast more than I've given, and pray more than I've ever prayed. And I just want to bear testimony this morning that by God's grace, God rewards what's done in secret. Like, I just want to bear testimony that I could open up my journal and talk about what God has done over the last couple of years, which I'm 44 years old. So I, I, I didn't even sense this until 42 years old. And can I, can I just say this as well? If you're not giving now, you're not going to give later. Like, you probably, this is going to sound stupid, but you probably have more disposable income than you will later. Someday you will make lots more, well, you'll make more money. I don't want to put lots in there. You'll make more money but you're gonna have kids and a house payment and they will suck every cent you have. Every cent. If you would have told me when I was in seminary that I would make what I'm making now, which is not crazy, it's just a lot more than I ever thought I would, I literally would think I would have a house by Nick Saban at the lake. You know my lake house is my children. That's my lake house, like every penny. You think you're going to, you will never have more time than you have right now, ever. You will never have more time than you have now. And I, I just want, I want to plead with you by bearing testimony in my own life of what I've seen the Lord do over the last couple of years, which I wish I would have understood when I was here and bear testimony of the warning of Jesus and the promise of Jesus to plead with you to just start now. When you get that next paycheck for $300, give $30 off the top to the church. Don't even think about it. First fruits off the top, not when it's left over. Start now. Say, well, pastor, I don't believe the New Testament teaches tithing. Give me a break. Start as someone who wants to be a leader in the ministry by giving 10% and increase it from there. And learn now to get in the secret place. You will never have more time than you have now. Learn to make fasting a practice. Because I assure you, not based upon my testimony, which means very little, but based upon the promise of Scripture, there is a God who sees every bit of that when no one else sees, and His reward is much better than the attention and approval of others. So go after the reward. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Before we pray, I want to 
ask you in this moment if God is stirring. And here's the thing. When God speaks, we respond then. When God stirs, we respond then at that moment. Today, if you hear my voice. So when God speaks is when we respond. We don't wait. And if God is stirring up in your heart this morning a desire to to have a more intimate, personal relationship with Him, to, to take that pathway out of hypocrisy, I just want to ask you in the quietness of these moments, because these moments are so rare, to just sit and be quiet before the Lord. Would you just offer up your prayer of response to the Lord this morning? Pour out your heart to Him. Confess hypocrisy. Commit to be obedient in these three areas. Ask for His grace. Tell Him what you want to be and, and who you want to be, and just pour out your heart to the Lord. Just take a moment in the quietness of this moment to offer up your prayer response to the Lord. Father, my my heart is so burdened for all that are in this room. Just just wishing that when I was here, I would have known this and would have practiced this. Father, a little grieved in my spirit of, of what I may have missed by not being consistently more faithful in these areas and not just simply taking you at your word that you promise you will reward these things. God, for the rest of my life, I want my life to be a testimony of, of, of not anything I can accomplish, but what ha- accomplishes when we just simply take you at your word and believe that what you say is right. And I, Father, I just pray that you would ingrain this in the hearts of every man and woman in this room, that their ministries might be marked by what God is able to do by someone who just simply trusts. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.